Okay, we're live. Um, so, my name is Tyrone McMillan. I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I served nine years in the United States Army. I was a correctional officer for one year. I did 18 months in Afghanistan as a supply supervisor. I received my bachelor's degree from the University of South Carolina, Beaufort, in, edu in educational, well, in early childhood education. I received my master's degree from the University of South Carolina in educational administration. And I'm currently working on my PhD in education from Liberty University. I have been teaching or I've been an educator for going on six years now, five years in third grade. I am, I will be teaching first grade um, this coming school year. My wife is also an educator. She's going on her seventh year as an educator. My son is going to 10th grade and I have a daughter that's going to sixth grade. Okay, yes sir. So you say you were a correctional officer. I, I didn't know that. Did you go from being a correctional officer to a teacher? That's that's major right there. Yeah. So the reason why I became, well, part of the reason why I became an educator is all, all because of um, when I worked in corrections. And for me, as a correctional officer, I saw too many black and minority uh, boys that look like, well, boys that look like me in general and they was coming in there at an early age. They was coming in between 13 and 16 years old. And someone was going to spend the rest of their life in jail. Um, a lot of them did not have the mentors or the role model that they needed to make sure they were going in the right direction. So really in 2011, when I my educational journey, that's when I actually started um, going to school. And the reason why I chose education is because I felt that um, there was a place where I could make the most impact at, with, with students at an early age. Because I'm not going to say that for most students, a lot of times um, we like to say that our students, when they get to a certain age, it's, it's too late for them. And to me, it's never too late for anyone to um, change or, you know, figure out what they want to do in life. So I really hate when uh, people say, you know, it's too late for uh, these kids because of a certain age but I still felt that if I can reach them at an early age third grade in elementary school I, I felt that that's where I can make the most impact and and if we all know that you know third grade is the grade that they look at to determine how many jail cells they need for mm -hmm. for black and brown uh, boys yes, sir. so this is where all of the tracking starts so this is why I became an educator Yeah, I definitely respect that. You're on the front lines and stopping the, the school-to-prison pipeline. That's major right there. Yes, sir. And that was the biggest, my biggest focus, that's um, school-to-prison pipeline, because our black, as we know, our, our black um, kids are disciplined, you know, with the discipline disparities. They're disciplined twice as much as their white counterparts for the same infractions. So I believe that even stopping that school to prison pipeline, it, it's going to take some 
some great educators. It's going to take educators that um, learn how to come into these schools and learn the culture of the school, because that's part of the problem is be that, that we have so many in education. Edu- teachers, white, we see white middle-aged women makes up most of the teacher population nationally makes up about 80, 82, 82% of teachers worldwide. So when you go to a lot of these classrooms, the teaching demographics doesn't match the demographics of the students. And I believe that this is one of the major causes of the discipline disparities because they're not educated on the culture of those students. They don't understand why a student is coming in hungry or they don't understand why a student is um coming and tired because they had to, you know, babysit their younger siblings. And these are, and I'm talking about third and fourth graders that have to babysit younger siblings. So and until all teachers are able to put their own biases aside, aside and understand that, you know, these kids are really struggling and coming from, you know, broken backgrounds and broken um, homes. So it is our job as educators to, you know, bring these kids in and nurture them and show them that, you know, no matter where where you come from, no matter your background, you can be successful. And this is why, you know, every day I wear a suit and tie just to show, you know, my students, especially my boys, that it doesn't matter where you come from. I was one of those kids. I grew up I grew up in poverty. I grew up not sometimes not having food to eat at night. I grew up, you know, not you know, open my refrigerators and there was no food in the refrigerator or no no heat in the winter. I, I, I was I was those students, and this is why I'm so passionate about making sure my my black and brown my black and brown kids don't fail, because I was those kids, and it, and if you don't have anyone that's going to push you and motivate you to 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 show you that there's something different out there, then you're never going to see it. Because unfortunately for me, I didn't know I was poor. I didn't know that I was living in poverty because everyone around me lived the same way. So when everyone around you live the same way, it's normal to you. You don't you don't see it as a problem until you get out in the world. And for, for many of these kids, they're not going to be able to, you know, have these opportunities to to see the world or to get out of those neighborhoods. Facts, yes, sir. Um, I know our Mister Brother, uh, Mister Hayward, um, in Orangeburg, he. Uh, he got all the he went into a felon school and instead of, you know, getting rid of those teachers that were there, those felon teachers, he put them on a bus. He took them out in the community. They went door to door and actually got to know the people. And that is so important to understand the audience that you're trying to reach. If you don't understand your audience, you cannot reach that audience. So that's definitely something that's that's very important. Um, I know while you were at um, University of South Carolina, Buford, you were part of the Call Me Mr. program. Can you tell me a little bit about the program as well as the impact that that had on you? I know uh, you, we're Call Me Mr. Brothers and the Call Me Mr. journey is, is a little bit different for all of us. But just tell me a little bit about Call Me Mr. and the impact that it had on you. Well, I was a part of the Communist program for, like you said, at the University of South Carolina Buford for um, a little over three years. That's how long it took me to finish my degree. But the Communist program for me was instrumental because 
without that program, I really wouldn't have, even though I wanted to go into education, I really didn't know how I was gonna get to that journey until I found out about the Common Mister program. Um, and it was just, the Common Mister is, it's, it's a program that was started at, you know, Clemson University. And the object of the program is to get minority, um, black and minority males in, into education, specifically in the lower grades. So the Common Mister made a major impact because, like I said, my journey for Common Mister was like, It, I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at loss for words because that's how much, you know, it did for me because I know a lot of people, you know, struggle with, like, the, the teaching and, you know, educating now kids, but to call me, to call me Mr. is a lifestyle, and that's, yes, like, sir. I will always, I will always go back to call me Mrs. because I believe in, in that bigger picture. So, for me, like, like I said, it's just, I can't even describe it in words like the impact that the Common Mister program had for me because if it wasn't for the Common Mister program, I can't say that I wouldn't be teaching, but I don't think that I would have the insight and the knowledge as to why it's so important for black males to be in the classroom. Yes, sir. Uh, I know Call Me Mister, one of our main principles, and this is something that I just... I have so much love and passion for the principle of servant leadership. Servant leadership is something that I was living even before I became a part of the Call Me Mr. program. And I think that's why I was able to come into Call Me Mr. It was a smooth transition because it's so it's part of that foundation and it's part of my foundation just as a person. I love the idea, the principles of servant leadership, even before I knew exactly that term to call it servant leadership. Um, and I feel that, you know, servant leadership right now in the world, this climate that we're in, um, it could change the world, not just education, but servant leadership could change the world. You think about police brutality. If police officers were servant leaders within the community, it would change the whole racial dynamic from top to bottom. Yes. So I just, I want you to talk a little bit about servant leadership and how we can apply it as educators, but also how just the everyday person, no matter what field they're in, can apply the principles of servant leadership to their life. So when, when we think about servant leader, ser being a servant leader is just, is just what it says, a servant leader. So like the, in order to be a servant leader, you have to have a leadership philosophy in which the main goal of the leader is to serve. You, you are here to serve. And in education, you should be a servant leader because we are serving our students. We are serving our parents. And if you don't understand about, like, like I said, I like that you said, how you said that, you know, we can be in a better world if everybody was, you know, had that servant leadership mentality. And I, and I truly agree with you because, you know, one thing about a servant leader, a servant leader is also, you know, as a person that shares power and put the needs of others first. You know what I'm saying? So in order to, to be that servant leader, you have to be willing to share power. And I think in education in general, like we're to a point now where, you know, people don't understand how to serve freely. 
And what I mean by that is if I serve freely, freely, I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm doing it because I have the love for it. I have the passion for it because I want to see the world change. I want to see a different, you know, a, a different world where everyone can, can succeed where everyone can grow. So we have to get to, it's a, it's a mindset as well. Being a servant leader is a mindset. You know, you have to acknowledge other people's perspective and, and, in today's world, that's one of the things that's so hard for other people is to acknowledge other people's perspective. We talk about being a servant leader. So it doesn't matter in education. It doesn't matter if you are a police officer. It doesn't matter, you know, what your career path is. You should always be a servant leader. If, if, if we, to me, we are put on this earth to serve. And, and, and that's, that's, that's final. Like we are put on this earth to serve. So we have to find what it is that guides our life, what it is that, you know, whatever it is we want to do where we can serve. And right now, I believe to me, you know, my path is in education. It doesn't matter what your path is. It just, we, we just need good people. We just need good people in the world. And one thing I always say, I don't, I don't agree with race. Either you're a good person or a bad person. So we have to get out of, you know, you know, black people, white people, Mexican people, either you're a good person or a bad person. So some of the qualities or characteristics of a good servant leader is the, the ability to listen, um, to, to be, to show empathy, you know, mm-hmm. and if you're a true servant leader, you have to be able to empathize with other people and put your own feelings aside. That's major so, right there. What you just said about empathy rather than uh, sympathy. There's a lot of times, oh, I'm sorry you're going through this, but to actually feel that pain that for them, that is, that's real right there, putting empathy over sympathy. Anybody can feel sorry for somebody else, but to actually, you know, take it on and try to provide a solution for them, that's that's next level. Yes, sir. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to add that. And I totally agree because so, so many people get confused with the two. There's, there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. And like you said, sympathy is just me feeling sorry for you or me, you know. But and what if empathy is me, you know, put myself in your shoes, put myself in your situation and figuring out how I can help out, how I can lend the help of hand. So there's a big difference. And I believe that's one of the biggest problems in education because we, I can be sympathetic to my students and I can empathize with my students. But guess what? I'm still going to hold all of my students accountable. So that's one of the biggest things that's wrong with education, especially in the lower grades, because, you know, the people, people can sympathize with your situation, especially when these, we have our kids that's living in poverty or, you know, low social economic statuses. A lot of teachers do sympathize, but they're not empathizing with these students. So when I sympathize now, I create biases in my head. Now and I'm going to say, okay, well, you're living in this type of community, so therefore you can't. I can't push you this hard. So that's the misconception that we have because guess what? Because you're living in that um, situation, I'm going to push you even harder. Yes, sir. Because I want you to get out of that situation. So some other um, characteristics is, you know, self-awareness. You have to be self-aware. The ability to look at yourself and think deeply about your emotions and behaviors. You have to um, be able to persuade. You know, a true servant leader is the 
the person that's able to persuade others, not by not by demand, but if I'm a true servant leader, people are going to want to follow me just because I, I'm a great leader. I don't have to I don't have to demand people to follow me. Well, I don't have to demand you know somebody to do something. So these are just some of the things about you know a, a good servant leader and being a servant you know servant servant leadership um, commitment to grow people and you know build community. So. I'm very big on being a servant leader as well, like you said, and, you know, a lot of times, many of us do it and we don't even understand what we're doing because we, we just want to, we love mankind and we love the humanity and being a servant leadership because we, we care about people not, and all people, not just, not just our own people. And that's, that's what we have to get away from just saying, okay, how can I benefit my people? No, we need to benefit everyone. When I go into a classroom, I don't care what color my students are, and, and I'm gonna say that. And I know I'm, and I'm not speaking about the color brightness because oh, I don't care what color you are. I truly mean that in the sense that I'm not taking away of that. I'm not taking away that history when I say I don't care what color their um, what color my students are, because I still understand their history. But when you come into my classroom, I'm educating all of my students, all of my students. So this is what I mean when I say, you know, I can say. I don't see color when I um come when my kids come into my classroom. I understand their history. I'm a I'm a black male and and teaching first grade, so I understand I understand the history and the pain that we we've been through. I understand white history, but I'm going to take that and I'm going to try to make my students to be better people. I'm going to make my students servant leaders. That's the that's the key right there that you said. And another thing, you when you said community servant leadership has to do with with community development but a true servant leader doesn't just create followers a true servant leader creates more servant leaders it's that's why i said it can really change the world it can change can go community by community block by block and servant leadership can really that can be the answer there's a certain level of trust that I have when I'm dealing with someone that I know that they live their life based on servant leadership. There's, if you give me your word, I can, you know, I some sometimes things come up and we have the plans change or whatever. When you give me your word, I know you're going to do your best to stick to that. It's just, it's a part of servant leadership. No, right now, everybody, they, they making sure they don't leave home without their mask. Got to have the mask. But also, make sure you grab that servant leadership, too, before you leave home. Because you bring that out into the world, and we really get this going, where people are practicing servant leadership, this will be a better world. Absolutely. And just like you said, like, you know, I like that you said, like, people grabbing that mask. And a true servant leader, you know, we got so many people that's complaining about wearing a mask. But if you're a servant leader and you care about you know, your neighbor, you care about your community, then wearing a mask shouldn't be a problem. Exactly. You know, and we're not asking you to wear a mask when you're at home. We're asking you, asking you to wear a mask when, you know, you're in public. Because we have, you know, until we get this situation under control, I believe that everyone should be wearing a mask. If I go in Walmart, I don't have a problem with wearing a mask. Because, like I said, that's part of that servant leadership. You're looking out for one another. That's what that's what we need. Learning how to look out for one another. Exactly, and I know um, one of the things that we went over uh, 
we had an orientation just a couple weeks ago for all the new misters coming in. So I attended that and they talked about the the shopping cart. They had a poll. Do you return the shopping cart either to the store or to the uh what is it called? The the Terra what is what is it? It's it's slipping my mind right now, but the the rack where that holds the shopping carts. Do you either return it to the store or to the rack, or do you just leave your shopping cart? And they said that this is a test that really shows whether you can govern yourself accordingly or not. Are you a savage, or can you maintain things on your own? Because there's no reward in it for you returning that cart to the store or to that to the rack but there's there's no reward or punishment either way but you are making things better for the person that has to get those carts back to the store you're doing a service still if you actually return that so i like the way that just goes to show i mean servant leadership <laughs> we could talk about this all day but i do want to uh move into uh your classroom as well as uh, your school, if you could tell me a little bit about that, paint a picture. Definitely want to come observe you, you know, when when things get back going. But if you could just uh, paint a picture right now for me, as well as the listeners of your school, as well as your classroom. Okay, so I'll just talk about my past school, and then I'll talk about my present school, if that's fine with you. Okay, that's cool. So for the past four four years, I taught at... Um, elementary school, Joseph Shanklin Elementary, which is a predominantly black school. Um, most of this is a uh, Title One school. Most of the students receive, well, majority of the students receive free and reduced lunch. Um, this is the whole community is, you know, low, low socioeconomic status, um, high poverty in um, certain areas of the school. So I taught at that school for four years because when I first got into education, that was one of the, you know, things that I've always wanted to do. I wanted to go into, and I'm not going to say the worst school, but I wanted to go into a school that was struggling, where our students were struggling, because I wanted to be that change in those students' lives. I wanted to be able to impact every student that come into my classroom. So that was, and I believe that I could relate to those students because, like I told you before, you know, I grew up like those students, so. I always say, you know, I always tell people I am those students. You know, there's no difference because now I'm up in the suit and I'm working on my third degree. There's no difference. The only difference is mindset and opportunity. And if we give our kids the opportunity, then you'll be surprised at what our, especially our black and our black kids can do. You know, so many times we put limitations on their abilities. And when we limit their abilities, we're not helping them out. We're, we're, we're hurting them. So in my classroom at Shanklin, I've always taught my students, whatever student in my class I had that was the highest student, then that's where I was teaching my class at. Because I believe that if you teach your students to the highest level, they're, they're, they're going to um, come up. It's, it's all about, you know, setting expectations. And kids love expectations. They love meeting expectations. So when you set your expectations high, then guess what? You'll be surprised at how many students are going to meet those expectations. So I always look at my highest student, and all of my instructions was based on that highest student. 
Now, a lot of people want to say, well, what about your little students? Yes, I differentiated. I did all the things that I need to do for my students. But my core instruction was at the highest level. So when I did my differentiation, my small groups, yes, I helped the students that were, you know, that had IEPs because by law, I have to, you know, make sure they're getting their accommodations and modifications. So I still did everything they needed. But I believe when you push and exceed your students, that they're going to support your expectations. Yes, sir. Now, the school that I'm at now, uh, Pritchardville Elementary School is in Bluffton, South Carolina. And um, it's a predominantly white school. So this past year, I had no black students in my class. And the interesting part about this is Pritchardville Elementary School is the only school in elementary school in Bifford County that received an excellent rating on their report card. So it's, it's an awesome school. All of my students um, are way above grade level um, when it comes to our reading levels. And I was kind of nervous about going to this school because now I put myself, I made myself vulnerable. I put myself in a situation that I wasn't aware of. And I think in order to become a better educator, you have to put yourself in positions to make you a better educator. If, if, we, if we stay in a position where we're comfortable or that we know, then you're never going to grow. So that's, that's why I um, switched schools. And now, like I said, I'm teaching predominantly white school. Now, my whole philosophy in education is, it hasn't changed, but in my classroom now, it's, it's different because um, from my prior school, I, I might have had one student or two students that was reading on grade level. In this classroom now, I had, all of my students are reading on grade level, on or above grade level, matter of fact. So it's just a diff, different environment on, you know, when we talk about, you know, one school versus the other school, the black school versus the brown school. And we're talking about, and I'm not going to say that the, the good thing I like about being in both of those schools is that even in Beaufort County, and you'll hear everybody say no for the broad or self for the broad. And I really wish we get, a, you know, do away with, you know, putting that into people's head when we say no for the broad, self for the broad. Because when we say that, you think about it as, you know, two school districts. And, and there's, we only have one school district. But what I can say is that being at both schools throughout the district, the resources are pretty much the same. The difference is how we use those resources. So when we say move it abroad, and some people will say, well, you know, if you go suffer abroad, they got better school, they got better resources. And I'm like, being that I was on both sides now, I can say, no, they don't have um, better resources. They have the same resources. They just utilize them differently. Okay, yeah. Um, I know we've talked in a, in a prior conversation. You, you told me about your the impact that you had or the just representation at your new school now as a black male and the way students uh, responded to you. Uh, could you go into that a little bit? Sure, sure. So with me being a black male, and, and that's that's one of the reasons why I also went to a predominantly white school is because throughout my educational journey, I always believed that black kids need black males 
for the mentor and role model. But when I got to Preacherville, it was interesting because the kids, now they see, you know, a, a black male in front of them. And for most of these kids as being white, you know, white students, they will never have the opportunity to see a black male in no context. So for me, it was great to be able to be in the classroom because now they get to see a black male's perspective. And I know it was interesting for, you know, a lot of the parents as well, because, you know, now you have a black male, you know, instructing your kids. And for me, I try to keep it real in my class. I don't care, you know, who it is with third graders, but, you know, if my third graders ask me a question, I'm going to answer it honestly. And for most of them, I believe it's, it changed their lives because now they get to go on in life and understand that, you know, you know how the news want to paint that, you know, black males are dangerous or they're criminals and it creates biases. So now those students that I impacted may, may or may not have those, still have those biases. So when they see a black male, they're not intimidated or they're not using those biases to say, well, oh, let me cross the street because he got on a hoodie. Or, you know, let me let me hold my purse a little tighter because he's a black male. So I just think that, you know, the impact that I can make even in white students' lives is, you know, astro astronomical because they get to hear my perspective. And I know a lot of times, like, one of my students asked me, we were talking about, you know, racism. We were talking about, you know, slaves during the time because it's part of our curriculum. And one of the students, you know, one of my white white student white female students asked me, Mr. McMillan, um, why why did white people hate black people so much? And you know, out of curiosity, it was an intriguing question. But like I told her, I said, you know, I asked her, I said, okay, so what color is your mom? And she was like, white. I said, what color is your grandmother? She said, white. I said, so these are the people that you need to ask. I said, because I can only, as a black male, I can only give you my perspective. Mm -hmm. They can give their perspective as well, but they can relate more to, you know, why, you know, white people might have hated black people. I can only give you my perspective. Exactly. So she, she asked me, well, she was like, well, Mr. McMillan, she was like, I can't ask my parents that. And I'm like, why? She said, because that's, I just can't. I said, but you asked me, you asked Mr. McMillan, a, a black male, why can't you ask your parents? And it's it said that a lot of our students are afraid to talk to their parents about things like this. So one thing that I if I could suggest one thing to parents, be open to your student, your, your kids and have these tough conversations because they're going to hear about it anyway. And, uh, and a lot of times I got a lot of feedback or a lot of um, a feedback from the parents because a lot of the parents ask me, well, why are you teaching my kids this stuff? They're going to hear about it anyway. So as a parent, you need to have these conversations with your kids. Yes. Okay. Um, another question that I have for you, uh, a lot of the listeners as well as myself are in a position right now where we don't really know exactly what this new world we're going to be teaching in after we complete our four years is going to be and also some people listening that's going into their first year now 
what advice could you get? We're going we're gonna to talk about online instruction and all of that, but just what advice would you give someone going into their first year of teaching? The, the one advice that I would give first year teachers is be courageous. And what I mean by that is you're going into your classroom now. Be courageous. Try things that you would have not have tried and when you were student teaching. Be courageous to, you know, speak your mind. Be courageous enough to ask questions when you don't understand something. So the advice that I can give is just be courageous. It's your classroom. And I know right now we're we're to a point where, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But in your classroom, just be courageous. Build, let me say this too, build relationships. I'm going to say it again. Build relationships. Your first two to four weeks should not be instruction. In order to build a relationship, it starts at the beginning of the school year. And if you don't set, if you don't build those relationships with your students and your parents, you're going to have a rough school year. Build those relationships. Like one thing I did, even, even this year, and I try to do it every year, I call my parents before school. Once I get my um my list of students, I make sure I get permission from my um you know my administrator. I call my parents and I I talk to all my parents even before um they come in for you know the teacher. So one thing that I do is I call my parents and I talk to them not about them. I talk to them about their students. I talk to them about their kids. What are they interested in? What books do they like to read? Um, so I'm I'm already trying to break the ice even before you know meet the teacher night. That's so great. When, so when they come in for meet the teacher, they're not they're not you know awkward or they're not you know it's not no that little weird transition where you know everybody's silent. So every year when my parents come in, they are already you know warmed up and they already feel like they know me, you know because I made an interest in learning about their kids. You know what I'm saying? So build those relationships because it, it'll work out, especially when it comes to classroom management. If you don't have those, if you don't have those relationships, your management is, is not going to be good. And, and you, you're going to see the importance of classroom management. So like I said, be courageous, build relationships and classroom management. I love that. Definitely appreciate that as well. Um, your father, how has that impacted you as an educator? Hmm. Good question. Great question. Um, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of my history about father, fatherhood. So with me growing up, my father, you know, my father passed away last October. You know, so rest in peace to my dad. But my father was locked up from the time I was one years old, from the time I was one to the time I was 15. So he was locked up for 14 years of my life. So for me now, I did grow up with a stepfather, but you know, if we want to talk about, and you know, he did the best he could as being a stepfather, but I still felt that the, I had a peace movement because it wasn't my father and I felt like the relationship wasn't great. So for me, you know, growing up in that type of situation, it didn't teach me how to be a father. 
And then, so now becoming a father, I try to take things that I didn't learn in order to be the best father that I can be for my kids. So even at the father part of growing up, and I know like, you know, as a black male, it's hard to be a father because, you know, we, we already have so many obstacles and we have so many things that's against us already. So for, for all the black fathers out there that's listening, I want y'all to know that, you know, I understand the struggle, but your, your, your kids did not ask to be here. And I'll, and I'll say that your kids did not ask to be here. So this is why for me, you know, being a father is, is, is one of the greatest gifts of gifts of gifts of all. Like that's a gift that, you know, keeps giving because when I look at my kids face, when I'm out there and I'm, you know, my kids see me on my computer doing homework, you know, so I want my kids and my students to see, see things like this. Like when I graduated with my master's degree, one of my students at my old school, they asked me, Mr. McMillan, can you wear your, um, can you wear your robe? So what do you think I did? That next day I came in and I had on my, my gown and my, my cap and gown. And, you know, you should have just saw the kids' faces. It just lit up because once again, a lot of kids don't see that. Yes, sir. You know, if they don't see their parents graduate from college. So if they don't see it, how can they believe that they can do it? Exactly. So this is even in the classroom, you, you know, we talk about, you know, model. We have to model everything, right? Because kids imitate us. And if you're not modeling good behavior, if you're not modeling, you know, integrity or, you know, true character, you know, then they're not they're not going to pick up on that. It's, you have to think about all of these teachable moments. And to me, education is not just about reading, writing, and arithmetic. And all of my students will be able to tell you that Mr. McMillan teaches life lesson. I promise you, I can go some days where, you know, we start talking about social studies and then we're, we somehow one another, we, we got on something something else. And our whole social studies lesson was just having a conversation. Yes, sir. That hidden curriculum definitely exists. Exactly. So, you know, you, you really have to, you know, that's another good thing about, you know, any teacher that's going into education. Be willing to have those conversations. Like, your, your conversations don't always have to be about reading, writing, and math. That's how you build relationships. That's how you get to know your students. Like, my students know everything about me. They know everything about me. It's nothing that I'm going to hide from my students because I want my students to see that I'm a regular person. I want my I want my own kids to see that I'm a regular person. Because when, you know, you got first graders and third graders, they look at teachers as superheroes. And some teachers like to play that role. They like to play the role of superhero, but you have to let them know that you're, you're, you're just a regular person. So the question about, you know, fatherhood, I think it's very important with, with being in the classroom because it allows me to, to give those kids something that I didn't have. And for, for most black males in education, those students in general, that's what I'm talking about, the students, remember, a lot of those students are coming to school without father figures in their lives, without role models. You know, when I when I always ask my students, when I, especially when I was at my black, the black school, I always ask my students, well, who's your role models? Who's your mentors? 
And a lot of them, you know, they name them basketball players, football players, or rappers. Nobody that's truly in their life. Mm. So their role models and their mentors are people that they see on TV. So therefore, this is why I believe, you know, education, especially with black males, we need definitely need more males in education. And I'm not just going to say black males. We need more males in education in general, because I believe all males can make a, a positive impact in the classroom. Yes, sir. Uh, who motivates or inspires Mr. McMillan? Hmm. My, my kids and my wife. Hmm. You know, I've been, I got out of the army in 2006 and I was diagnosed with PTSD. And at that time, I, I thought that my life was going to end. I was, you know, for a little while, I was suicidal. Um, I didn't trust anyone. So I was at a real dark time in my life. And being that my wife was a God-fearing woman, she never left my side. You know, we and, you know, I don't tell many people this, but, you know, in 2000, 2007, we actually separated for about six months. And that separation really opened my eyes because at that time when I was going through the, my dark past, I didn't really want to be, I didn't want anybody in my life. And I was, as much as I was pushing her away, when it finally happened, it was like, what did I do? Now I really don't have anybody. And she didn't give up on me. You know, we, we separated for six months and that was the best six months of our life. And, you know, so many times people think that separation is a bad thing. Sometimes separation is like a restart or a refresh button. Sometimes you just need to get away and, you know, realize what's, what's important to you. And when my wife left me, I realized what was important to me, and it was my wife. And at the time, I only had my son at the time. But my motivation and, and my why is because of my wife and kids. And... Education gave me an outlook. Like, I wake up every day knowing, even my students in the classroom, this is my, my motivation as well, especially in education, because I wake up every day and I feel like I need to be there. And I want to be there. But education also gave me that outlook I'm like, you know, you need to get up out of your bed every day. You need to, you know, these kids depend on you. These students depend on you. Your family depend on you. So this is my motivation because I can't push my own kids to be better if they don't see me being better. If, what can I, how can I tell my kids, well, you need to go to college or you need to do this and you need to do that if they don't see me doing it. So now that they see me, they saw, you know, they got to walk across the stage when I got my bachelor's degree. They got to they got to see me walk across the stage when I got my master's. They're going to see me walk across the stage when I get my PhD. So remember, imitation is the rare form of flat, flattery. So that means as long as my kids see me doing it, they, they're going to want to strive to do that. And when I push them, they know why I'm doing it. So my motivation is definitely, you know, my, my, my wife, my family, and also God, because without him, like, if you don't have the faith and if you don't know why you're here, if you don't know your purpose, then you're just going to be a fool. 
And I'm going to say it like that. If you don't know your purpose in life, you're going to be a fool. That's real. So with you and your wife both being educators, how is how is that relationship? Actually, it made the relationship much better because we always, so my wife and I, we've been together for 22 years. Wow. Yes, sir. We've been married for 15 years. And man, my wife always joke and laugh at each other because we always ask ourselves before education, what did we talk about? <laughs> So now, you know, education has brought us closer together because we both have that same passion. And, you know, she's just as passionate about education as I am. She loved being in the classroom. So, you know, when she had questions or I had questions or, you know, because for a long time I taught third grade, she taught fourth grade. So well, we would always collaborate on different things, especially my third graders. I always ask her, like, so what do, as, what do my fourth graders need to know when they get but my third graders need to know when they get to fourth grade. So it was one of those relationships where, you know, it empowered both of us and made our relationship even stronger. So I think that education for that as well. That's special. Yes, sir. Um, I do want to go into online instruction. There's <laughs> right now a lot of educators, teachers, students, are against online instruction you know uh earlier this spring the year was cut in half and was finished online and now we're going into the fall semester where it's completely different all over all over the state all over the the nation as far as the plan on reopening schools uh is there any positive aspect to online instruction what are your thoughts on online instruction I think online instruction is the right way to go right now. And remember, think about how many students get homeschooled through online instruction. So the the model is out there, the process is out there where our kids can be successful with online instruction. So I really need parent to remember we're all educators, right? And it's our job to educate. So we have the curriculum, and I and I, I believe that the fear came from, you know, March when we were ordered to stay home and teach virtually, and nobody knew how to do it virtually, right? Because it was just one day we went to school and the next day we was out, and you have to teach virtually. There was no guidelines. There was no, you know, consistency. So you had, you know, you had parents that didn't have internet service. You had, you know, kids that didn't have internet service. You had teachers that didn't have internet service. So it was just so many unknowns at the time. And I think that right now we're at a point where we have everything we need in order to run a successful online uh, program, uh, a successful virtual program. The biggest thing is making sure the students are involved making sure the students are in front of the computers because we're not asking parents to be teachers. We're just asking to hold your child or your kids accountable. That's what it's about, accountability. So for all the viewers or the, you know, everybody that's listening, if you're afraid of virtual, you have to hold yourself accountable and hold your kids accountable. We're not asking you, we're not asking y'all to be teachers. 
if you have any questions, make sure you ask, your t- uh, ask those teachers. So I think the curriculum is going to be different. I, be- I believe that the whole, you know, outline and how everything is ran is going to be different um, this time around. I definitely think that, you know, it's, it'll be more successful than putting your kids into the classroom. And the reason why I state that is because I believe that if we send our kids back to the classroom, then most of our focus is going to be making sure little Johnny don't touch uh, little Kim or making sure they, they keep their mask on, making sure they wash their hands, making sure they are six feet apart. So as educators, we don't want to see that because that's, you know, that's, that goes against everything that kids come to school for. So kids come to school to be social social butterflies or social bugs, whatever you want to call them, right? They come to school to hang out with their friends and, you know, laugh and play around. But now we're telling them, okay, you, you can't you can't touch nobody. You got to stay six feet apart. You got to wear your mask. Now think about Mr. McMillan teaching first graders. And we're telling them to keep their mask on. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I seen a little meme uh, on Facebook and it said, you know, little Johnny came to school with a Spider-Man mask on and with a Batman mask. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So now you got kids changing masks. So it's just, if they come into the classroom right now, we're not really going to be focused on the curriculum. And I think it's just going to do a disservice to where we're at right now. And now kids are already behind because they already missed a semester of school. So I believe a true online program will be beneficial to all of the students right now. And like I said, I just need the parents to be accountable and make sure whatever your school decides or your district decides when it comes to the number of uh, seat time, the amount of seat time or the number of hours they need to be, you know, in front of the screen. I just think that we need parents to hold their kids accountable. When we have assignments that need to be turned in, make sure your kids are doing their assignments. Yes, sir. Uh, one last question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot with this one, but what will Mr. McMillan's legacy be as an educator, as a revolutionary educator? Hmm. Well, as far as legacy, and, and, you know, for me, I always tell my kids, like, I tell my own st- um, kids, like, what is your legacy going to be? Like, if you die today, what is your legacy? And, and I live by that. Like, so to me, my legacy is just to be known as, you know, a teacher or an educator. I'm not going to say teacher because I don't believe I'm going to be a teacher forever. But to be an educator that, you know, made an impact on students' lives. And, and that's, that's the ultimate goal for me is to impact every student that I come in contact with. I want... I want my students to be able to look at Mr. McMillan and say, you know what? He always treated everyone the same. He treated, and like I tell my own, my students, I treat you no different than I treat my own kids. And, and that's the God honest truth. When I go into the classroom, I treat my students just like my own kids. You know, and I, I go to their football games. I go to their soccer games. I go to their dance recitals. Um, because to me, teaching goes way beyond the classroom and when you're talking about relationships just look at go to one of your kids football games or soccer games and look at the 
don't look at your student faces. Look at how impressed the parents are going to be with you. So my my you know my legacy is just to you know be that educator that made an impact that made everyone happy. I want when students see me, I want them to want to come to school. So, you know, hopefully one day, and right now, I don't know about a career change because of some situations that's going on in education. But if I stay in education, I just want to be able to one day be an administrator for an at-risk school. And I want, and hopefully, I have the right team surrounding me that we can turn this school around and and get our students, no matter if they black, brown, or white, get them, you know, to go to college or and go to trade schools, go to go in the military. You know, so, so many times we we just trust college. College isn't for everybody, so we we have to get them in the trade schools, working with their hands. You know, I know a lot of people that went to trade schools and make a ton of money, more money than I make. So we have to get them in trades and working with their hands. We got to get them in the military because, you know, if I had a struggling student for three or four years, why am I going to push them to go to college? They're just going to struggle more. Then they're going to, you know, drop out because they're not interested. So my legacy is just to be, you know, the best person that I can be for, for the student, for the parents, for my community. And, and one day, you know, Everybody look at me and say, you know, well, Mr. McMahon did his job. Yes, he, he served, you know, he was that servant leader that we all needed. Thank you. <laughs> Big brother, you definitely, you set the bar high for us and you embody what it means to be a call me mister. I definitely appreciate you coming on, sharing this time with me and building with this conversation. It was definitely a great conversation. I definitely appreciate you. We want to say um, thank you for having me on and um, really enjoyed the questions. It really made me think. Um, awesome questions. I like I like the interview that doesn't, you know, sugarcoat anything. So I like that you're straightforward with your questions and I wish you much success on your podcast. Um, if you need me again at any time, I'm here for you. Um, I hope you do good things in education. And I was very, one thing about, one thing about you, Marcus, is that like I was very impressed when I first met you. And and I haven't told you that because I really haven't had the chance to, but I was very impressed with you because you know, I always looked at you the day I met you, I saw something in you that I didn't see in many other students. Like you, you are above and beyond the rest. You know, in your mindset and the way you carry yourself. And I truly believe that you are a servant leader and that you're gonna do great things in education. So I just want to say, you know, keep pushing, keep grinding. Don't let nobody stop you. Don't let nobody tell you you can't. And, you know, just, just continue to motivate yourself. I'm going to be praying for you to, you know, for that continued success as well. So just awesome job. Thank you. Yes, sir.